Well, please do have a seat. William, thank you so much for your, your welcome. Thank you for having me. It's great to be uh, back here. Uh, wonderful to see some familiar faces. Just as wonderful to see some that aren't familiar. It would be very sad if uh, uh, no one knew had come since William was born. Um, <laughs> Uh, I've been asked to speak on Psalm uh, 84. Uh, it'd be wonderful if you'd just have it open in front of you, actually. I found I'd never preached on this psalm before. I mean, there's some very famous lines in it. But uh, looking at the psalm this past uh, week or so uh, has really warmed my heart. And it, uh, my hope and prayer is that it does just that for you as well. So let me pray, and then let's explore it together. Gracious God, you promised that your word is uh, a lamp to our feet and a light for our path. We pray it will be just that for us this morning. For Jesus' name's sake. Amen. Amen. Uh, nostalgia. A wistful desire to return in thought or fact to a former time in one's life, according to Google. Uh, well, uh, nostalgia, I mean, we've all indulged in it, haven't you? You don't actually have to be that old to, to, to look back like that. Some of us have indulged in it too much. Uh, and it can take you to all kinds of different places. It, it leaves uh, some people sweet but treacly, doesn't it? You know, they're only full of sepia-tinted memories. Uh, I wondered if it was going to be a bit like that for some of us today. We'd look at each other and remember, and, and yes, we were young then, but Paul Beverly pricked that bubble by telling me how old I was looking. Uh, for, for others, it leaves them rather sad uh, because they're kind of living in the past uh, and they're permanently wistful for the good old days, whenever they might be. For others, it just leaves them frustrated. You know, blind almost to the fact that the world's moved on, and however good the past, it can't be reproduced in the future. And for some, actually it can leave them stimulated. They've identified a real good and use it to shape the future. Well, if there's nostalgia in this psalm, it is of that stimulating kind. Uh, and uh, don't reduce it to treacle. You know, when the psalmist begins, uh, how lovely is your dwelling place, he's not saying, how nice. He's saying, how I love your dwelling place. Uh, and the theme of the first stanza, the first section of the psalm, the first of three great blessings that he speaks of here, uh, is just that. I called it love of home. That's verses 1 to 4. Love of home. And you see the blessing in verse 4. Blessed are those, happy are those, real, deep, genuine happiness comes to those who dwell in your house. And again, don't get the psalmist wrong. Uh, True, this is a, a, a musician's psalm. You see in the title there, it says, for the director of music of the sons of Korah, and they were the temple musicians, you know, the band, the choir, however you like to think of them. And this has the feel of a song to be sung as they would lead the procession up to the temple itself. But if we're not careful, if we're not careful... Um, we can try and update it by letting our minds wander from the thought of a temple to a, a cathedral or, or, or a church. But the psalmist isn't interested in architecture. 
You know, gothic arches, vaulted roofs, stained glass windows. They don't get a look in. How I love your dwelling place, O Lord Almighty. It's not even the events and the ministries that are happening in them uh, that get him excited. Look at verse 2. My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. Or, as so often happens with the psalmist, you understand line 1 when he runs it through again in line 2. So, you see the second line in Psalm, in verse 2. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. See, this isn't so much attachment to a place as attachment to the one whose place it is. It's like so many memories of home for us, isn't it? It's not actually the house It's what went on inside it. It's mum and dad. It's our childhood memories that we think of. And for the psalmist, the the temple symbolized a, a dwelling place of God. For the New Testament Christian, that's not a building, but a people. It's not Holy Trinity Norwich the place. It's Holy Trinity Norwich the people of God. God lives in his people, is to be found in his people. And the psalmist longs for the living God, and then he goes further. Do you see it in verse 3? Even the sparrow, he says, has found a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may have her young, a place near your altar. It's, It's as if wherever he is, and it seems to be far away, he's picturing the temple, he's got his memories. And he sees the birds flying in and out. Well, I can remember a bird making it in here once and trying to get rid of that was quite something. Never mind a building as open as the temple. Uh, And he envies the birds. See, they're in the temple. And uh, 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 he's stuck away from it. Uh, And he envies them because they're not just in the temple. They're near the altar. The place where sacrifices, sin-bearing sacrifices are made. He's longing for the living God, yes, and the living God is a loving God who provides for sin. It's as if the, the shadow of the cross is over the psalmist, psalmist's mind as he writes here. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. Lucky them. Yeah? We're still in exile, is that his thought? But then the exile often appreciates home more, while stay-at-homes kind of grumble about it. You've known that, haven't you? You know, we who don't have to journey to a temple to meet with God, who have that privilege, uh, uh, you know, uh, week in, week out, so to speak, we can be those who just take it for granted. Week by week, day by day even, we, we, we meet where, where God is with his people uh, and we've lost the wonder. Almighty, living, loving God at home, in us, with us. We, we, we've lost the hunger of the psalmist. We don't have his appetite. Here's a love of home. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. And then you see comes that odd little word that, to be perfectly honest, no one really knows what it means, selah, that's put in there. It's almost certainly a musical term. I think it just really means a rest here, have a breather. Uh, Though some musicians translate it as have a riff or a cadenza or whatever they want to do. But, But it really sort of marks the end of a section. 
And uh, we move from love of home to the second section, the second blessing, what I call en route for home. And that's verses 5 to 8. Because the uh, psalmist is not stuck in what might have been. You know, he's not gone from wistful to poor me. You see the blessings there in verse 5. Blessed are those whose strength is in you. Who are they? Blessed are those who have set their hearts on pilgrimage. Whether that's the real one foot in front of the other traveling, or in your heart drawing back close to God. Because the life of discipleship is a life of pilgrimage as we travel to meet God face to face. And this stanza, this section, really stops verse 4 from just being sentimental. You know, a blessed thought. Isn't it wonderful to be in God's house uh, without any life-changing application and, and attached? And as the pilgrims step out... See, they're not viewed with rose-tinted spectacles either, are they? Look at verse 5. As they pass through the valley of Baca, that's an arid desert place. Hymn writers, as they've, they've tried to put this psalm into, into hymns, they, they've picked on phrases like valley of tears or veil of woe which you may feel is a bit extreme for your discipleship, but it's not for many thousands of Christians around the world. I mean, one of the privileges we have at All Souls is we, we've got something like 65 different nationalities worshipping with us Sunday by Sunday. And when you kind of cross the world like that, you'll understand I've met people who've lost their jobs because of their faith, who've lost their freedom, have been put in prison because of their faith, who've lost family. Uh, in one case, have seen family tortured and killed in front of their eyes because of their faith. Yeah, arid desert valley. We all know Norwich is a fine city, but it doesn't make it immune from life's heartbreaks, does it? You know, so you can live in Norwich, but you still have to face health fears, family heartaches, Pilgrims walk in those valleys. And yet, he says, they make it a place of springs. There is a faith that digs blessings out of hardship. I can remember an African who knew plenty of poverty and plenty of suffering teaching me the African greeting where you say, God is good, and everyone immediately says back, all of the time. Ah, and he'd been through the mill. They, the pilgrims, make it springs. Yeah. But sometimes, sometimes the desert comes, doesn't it? The hardship of it because of our sinfulness. And repentance can be a painful thing. I can remember one guy, he'd blown all kinds of relationships and when he faced up to it and confessed them and... Uh, began to repent with people around. He said to me afterwards, he said, Hugh, I think that is the hardest thing I've had to do in my life. And before I could get sympathetic or anything else, he said, but Hugh, that is the best thing I've done in my life. Yeah. 
they make it springs, or, you see, he goes on, the autumn rains also cover it with pools. Sometimes God just steps in and provides the blessings all by himself. And they go, verse 7, from strength to strength, as each appears before God in Zion, as if the nearer you get to the goal, the more eagerly the pilgrims step out. You know, when you know where you are, when the finishing line's in sight, there's a sort of extra spring in the step, isn't there? And you don't even have to have been to Jerusalem to know that the, the temple is on a mount. It's visible from a long way away. You get that sort of extra incentive as you're heading there. And then suddenly, did you spot it? The, the psalmist gets personal. He switches from talking about they, they, they to talking about me. As if he can't actually walk with them and he can only follow in his heart. So verse 8 he says, hear my prayer. O Lord God Almighty, listen to me, O God of Jacob. And then that Salah word again. Blessed are those on pilgrimage. Is that you? Is that you? You know you can't stand still in the Christian life. You're either stepping towards God or stepping away from Him. And uh, I can come here Sunday by Sunday by Sunday, and that's wonderful, but which way are you traveling? See, I can be a pilgrim to Holy Trinity week by week, but am I a pilgrim walking towards God week by week? It goes on through life. John Stott was in his 90s. He was so frail he could hardly lift himself up in bed. He certainly couldn't get himself out of bed. Uh, I remember talking to him and he said to me, he said, Hugh, I I want to be faithful to Jesus to the very end. I hadn't realized it would be so hard. He was finding it hard then. But you notice what was happening. Even at that age and at that stage, he's still the pilgrim, he's still traveling. Do you know the blessing of being a pilgrim, traveling towards God? Life, a love of home, en route for home. (laughs) Then the psalmist finishes, at home. At home with God. Uh, That's the last section, verses 9 to 12. Uh, And there's that odd verse that kicks it all off in verse 9. Look upon our shield, O God. Look with favor on your anointed one. The anointed one was the king. There's a sort of prayer for the king, as if he might have been part of some national tragedy, deported or something. That certainly happened. But why are the pilgrims praying for the king? Well, because good, strong government can mean safety for travellers, can mean security for the temple, could make that meeting with the living God easier, and because God's ultimate anointed one, Jesus, is the one who would make the reality of meeting the living God possible for sinners. His death on the cross that we'll remember in a few moments' time guarantees our access to the Father. And that relationship, not the place, still dominates the psalmist's thinking and the great comparisons of verse 11. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. Yeah, I count everything as loss, said the apostle, 
with a religious CV to impress the biggest zealot, I count everything as loss compared with the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And then perhaps the most famous line uh, of all, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. Actually, a doorkeeper, a gatekeeper, was quite a significant post in the, in the cultures, but it's not the job title word that's used here. It's, it's actually a verb. It's got the sense of standing at the threshold. It's as if he's really saying, better standing room only in this theatre than the best seat in the house in that one. That's where he'd rather be. It's... You know, not just the matter of the company that he's keeping. It's, it's a comparison of status. It's what gives me value and identity and security. I'd rather be a God person, a Christ man, a Christ woman, than any other label you want to attach to me. Do you head through life like that? Uh, William was very gracious in, in uh, interviewing me earlier. Uh, you go to some meetings and, um, you know, student meetings, uh, they'll drag you up the front there and they'll ask you all kinds of questions that I can never answer. You know, what is your most embarrassing moment and, uh, and all of those. And then almost at the end, they suddenly realise that um, no one out there knows who, who the speaker is. So they'll say, oh, just tell us who you are. Uh, and I'll do what I did this morning. I always begin by saying, well, I'm a Christian. Um, and I see the look of annoyance on their face because it's not the answer they're... I mean, you know, they're glad I am, but uh, that isn't really what they're after. Uh, they, no, 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 but what do you actually do? Oh, the day job you want, I said. I, you know, I, then I'll tell them I'm the rector of all souls. Which is the one, but that's not what gives me identity, value, security. At least not the deepest identity, value, security. I'd rather be standing room only in the house of the Lord than dwell in the tents of the wicked. And you see, verse 10 isn't just excited talk. Uh, this is what being at home with God looks like. The, the psalmist has tasted it. Verse 11, For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. All that's outgoing and positive. You know, light, heat, joy, energy. All that's protective. Uh, the Lord bestows favor and honor, grace and glory. Someone called grace the smile of God. It's a great phrase, isn't it? Do you know the smile of God? No good thing does he withhold. Not nothing does he withhold. No good thing does he withhold? And the psalmist knows the final blessing, you see, of verse 12. Uh, o Lord Almighty, blessed is the man who trusts in you. Well, what began perhaps as nostalgia could easily have wallowed in the past has actually been used to whet the psalmist's appetite. Starts him back again as a pilgrim follower left him rejoicing at the wonder of being at home with the living God. Friends, I know I'm only a guest here this morning. Uh, I hope you'll allow me, though, one final observation. Uh, I know and heard your, your PCC are putting the final touches to the, the parish profile. It's a vital thing, you know, what to look for in a new rector. And uh, I'll certainly be praying for that and for whoever God's uh, raising up and God in mind to, to, to bring here. 
But have you ever asked this question? Uh, not just uh, what would you like in a new rector, but what would a new rector like in a church they were coming to? And I'm not really meaning the, uh, you know, what clubs and ministries and events are run, important though they are, but what kind of people will they find in the church? Any minister I know would give their right arm for people with this hunger for the living, loving God. In all your preparations, don't leave that out. And may God give us those blessings. Let me pray. Gracious God, our, our loving Heavenly Father, where our hearts have grown hard, soften them. Where our minds have grown flabby, clear them. Where our love's grown cold, warm us. And may we know the blessings of being your people, your pilgrims, at home with you. We ask it. In Jesus' name, amen.